I'm Priscilla McKinney, host of Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. My guest today is Bailey Buchanan, a co-founder of Research for Good, an online sample research services and technology company. Since 2012, Research for Good has led the industry in connecting market researchers with real people while using a portion of the revenue on every completed survey to support charitable causes. As a sample industry veteran, Bailey oversees sales, marketing, and product development, including the recent launch of The Sampling Place, a do-it-yourself sample buying portal and a sample buyer's API. She is constantly advocating for a better respondent experience and improved data quality. In this episode, we talk about what it's like to be the cool kids and how to source a great outfit when you're on a busy schedule. But of course, we also talk about all things MR and especially how Research for Good is bringing innovative solutions to challenges brands are facing. Enjoy. Bailey, it is so nice finally to actually have you on my podcast. I am so thankful to be here. Thank you for having me. We've had a lot of good conversations in bars, in back of buses, at conferences. I mean, it's going to really sound like we're maybe not so legit people here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, couple that with how much of a fangirl of yours I am. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we seem to end up on junkets where, you know, some MR group is taking us somewhere. And so we end up in some bizarre bus and then we're going to, you know, travel and you know, whatever. But we always seem to manage a fantastic conversation in the middle of it. Yes. And I think the back of the bus is a great place. For the <laughs> it's where all the cool kids are. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of cool kids, we're kind of surrounded by a pretty great group of cool kids. I mean, you know, we could list a lot of them here from Wire Exec, but, you know, we feel pretty privileged. Um, but you, me, Kristen Luck, Lisa, and uh, Seema, and, you know, Brent, I could just go down a crazy list of, you know, people like Dinah. I, I mean, I would go, I would go on a massive, you know, friend vacation with you guys. I mean, I would hike a mountain with these women. They are amazing. <laughs> are we going to break out in song, Bailey? <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, I got to say, I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about work culture primarily. And I know we're going to go down a lot of other rabbit holes. But, you know, at Research for Good, you guys have done so many interesting uh, pieces of, of um, uh, market research. But one thing that I like about your emails, here's my compliment coming here. I love getting your emails from Research for Good because you guys ask an interesting, pertinent, seasonal question. Uh, you know, to your your online panel and give that as almost like a little teaser <laughs> to people. And I always find the question you guys asked to be really interesting. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And I think, you know, you've done several of them around work culture. And you and I have talked just even as, you know, running companies, what is the future of work culture And how do we deal with in-office employees and remote employees? So I thought we could start there because even though, you know, you're in market research and I'm in marketing and we have a lot to talk about there, I think with running a company, that's kind of an interesting thing you and I discuss an awful lot. So tell me your thoughts about that. Yeah, I think we're at a really interesting time right now and kind of pivot in work culture that applies across businesses, whether whatever industry you're in. Um, but especially in service businesses where the expectations of flexibility and remote workforce and really the also the research that's going into the, the benefits and also some of the pitfalls of 
setting up your organization in that way. It's just so fascinating. And I can see it in my own life, in the business that we've built, um, and in the lives of friends and colleagues as well. The expectation and really the demand for flexibility in, in your work life is going to revolutionize the way I think businesses are set up, businesses are run. Uh, We were very fortunate. We started Research for Good completely remote uh, back in 2011. So from day one, I mean, it's easy when there's only three people, right? (laughs) Uh, It's harder as you get bigger. But what we've experienced is that by starting it with a remote setup, you know, we did that out of convenience because we could, we knew each other, we knew we could rely on each other. And and quite frankly, because when you're bootstrapping a startup, it's just cheaper. Um, but as we've grown, it's really become kind of a core component of, of how we're set up. And now we have nearly 50 people who work with us spread across the US, Canada, Mexico, Bulgaria, Northern Ireland. Um, but really, I think what it boils down to is being able to find the right people, regardless of their location, and giving people the flexibility to bring their best selves to work, and also have a life that works for them. Right. Um, And and that's what really excites me about kind of the shift in work culture. Well, that also brings up a heavier issue, because I'm all with you on theory there. And I had my first employee go remote this year, and I've pretty been pretty opposed to it because I feel like that, you know, we, we've worked so hard to build a particular culture at Little Bird Marketing. And then, as you know, I acquired another firm this year. And so now I'm like, oh, how do I bring that culture over there? And how do I also let them create their own unique culture and blend it with ours? But now I have a second one going remote. And I see the theory that you're saying, you know, about let them bring their best selves, let them have their, you know, the lifestyle and the flexibility and things like that. But also, it kind of adds one layer of intricacy. I know the first thing that people say is, well, how do you know they're doing what they're doing? Let's just bypass all that. On the other hand, it's like, you know, it's already hard enough to to hire in a particular region. But now if really the world is your oyster, how do you find those really qualified people? If you're saying, I want, it's the person. I want to find that person wherever they live, let them work for me. You know, what, what has worked for you guys to really find the quality people that you have? Yeah, I think so. First of all, I think it's so much harder to pivot from being completely office based to bringing in just a few maybe outside people. I think Mm -hmm. that dynamic, you have to be so conscientious about how you roll that out as you're experiencing now, you know, how do you make sure that those people are involved, feel bought into the culture, are visible and present, um, and getting their work done, which that one is always comes up in a as an objection. And I think that's the easiest hurdle to overcome. Mm. If you give them metrics and measurable goals, and then you make sure they're hitting those goals, it's easy. It doesn't Mm. matter whether they're doing that between the hours of nine and five or between the hours of nine and two. And, and then again, from seven to 10 PM or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can put accountability in place for them and then hold them to it, that problem goes away for the most part. Um, Not to oversimplify it, um, there's certainly work to be done with what are the right metrics and how are we Mm -hmm. going in and accountability and all that stuff. But I think the other thing too that we've seen is um, there's so many tools now to facilitate communication and visibility and openness when you have, whether it's one person remote or everyone is remote. Um, So we've really taken advantage of tools like Slack 
Uh, and the biggest thing for us has been implementing Zoom, which is a video conferencing platform. Um, and we actually mandated, I think it was almost two years ago now, that all internal company calls are done over video. Nice. Uh, so everybody in the room, whether you're in a conference room with a group of people and bringing in a few individuals outside, or if everyone's on their own machine, it's all done over video. And mm -hmm. that has made the biggest difference. As our team got bigger and bigger, these calls became really hard to manage because there's just so many voices and you can't really read the room and it's hard to jump in when there's a pause and you get everyone talking mm -hmm. over each other. But video eliminates all of that or a lot of that. And brings in this dynamic of like being able to see people's facial expressions mm -hmm. uh, with the added benefit of, you know, then the dog jumps into the <laughs> frame in the background <laughs> and everyone gets a chuckle and we talk about the dog and it brings that like personal level back to some of these calls that you don't get um, when it's just a person from their home office on the phone. Right. Um, but kind of going back to what you were talking about with hiring, I think also it's interesting. There's more you have to rely a little bit more on, I think, your connections to find the right people. Like we've really found, um, we've utilized the WIRE job board, which is pretty specific to the research industry, but I would imagine there's products like that out there for virtually any industry. And LinkedIn, of course, personal connections. Um, we also hire through a tool called Upwork, which is where, you know, individual consultants and contractors can kind of put themselves up on this site and bid for jobs mm -hmm. and do hire people on a contract basis, oftentimes to start and then we'll end up, maybe it's a specific project that we need them for and then we end up bringing them on full time later and things like that. So yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to go about getting the right people. Um, you do have to be pretty intentional about, I still try and like meet people, um, definitely video-based interviews, um, and getting them to talk with a lot of different people on the team to ensure that compatibility. Right. Well, and I, you know, in the MR world, there's been a lot of remote. It's not been very, you know, bizarre to this industry. There are a lot of moderators or freelancers or they call in a consultant because, the, you know, this market research firm is working now in a particular vertical and they don't necessarily have the right person on the team. And so it's not like it's foreign, you know, to this industry. But let's take that a step further about something you could really speak to because, uh, you know, you, you guys... Research for Good are conducting online surveys The you know, tell us a little bit about the community management panel and how you do these kinds of things, but kind of weave that into how is this, you know, dynamic of how you're working remotely with your own team impacting the way you actually are approaching the product and solution and service that you offer? Yeah. So our specialty is finding the right respondents for market research studies online. Um, so from day one, you know, that has all been obviously remote and with people who you're not in direct touch with, you can't go out and touch them. You can't, you're not knocking on their door. Um, and that's been an interesting evolution. You know, if we think back to where surveys started, you were going door to door and <laughs> with someone face to face. Right. Or hanging out at the mall. <laughs> right. Hanging out at the mall. And you had to connect with people in a very personal way to get these responses from them. And now we have, and then it moved to phone. Um, and that was a little bit more, um, you know, anonymous and, or if not anonymous, there was a l less of that personal connection. And then we moved to online and now we're really entering this data economy where everything is about 
the data. How do I get the data? How do I get those data points? How do I get the, the charts and the graphs and the analysis that I need to make this decision? And we're, we're finding ourselves less and less seeing or conducting research in a way that sees people as human beings when it comes to survey research. The internet has allowed us to completely take the person out of that equation to some extent. You know, we haven't prioritized as well as we should the respondent experience within a survey. It's not the most engaging thing you can do online. When when online research started, it, a survey was a cool thing to participate in. It was different. You maybe got one or two surveys in your inbox, maybe a week. Um, you got a reward. Super cool. Now, you know, you get a survey invite but you're also binging Netflix and on TikTok and, you know, chatting with your grandma on Facebook. And Are you Facebook. watching me, Bailey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we've had to really shift how we think about connecting with people and the level of engagement that we're able to get from them and what we're competing against. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of this is that we're seeing a big resurgence in online qualitative work. Um, because people, the technology has improved to both that where both people are utilizing tools that would enable online qual, mm -hmm. you know, FaceTime with your grandma enough, you get pretty comfortable answering questions in a video. It's not a huge departure then to move that into market research and responding to prompts with a video of yourself or of yourself using a product and provide that really rich data and feedback to a researcher. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting as technology has evolved, it has allowed us to kind of go back to connecting with people in a far more personal way, dragging all the data along with it. Well, you mentioned that, that, you know, you joined uh, Research for Good, you know, right when it was a startup. So you talk about that you had the bootstrap experience. And so you, know, you guys see this change coming. Well, not coming. It's here. And you're feeling it in different ways. This like um, a, a desire from end clients and also other MR firms to have a little bit more of qualitative work done online. So what were some of those flags that you saw? I mean, do you remember a couple of key points where you guys all on your, you know, on your team were like, wait a minute, you know, this, it's not just, you know, just, you know, surveys. It's not just that, you know, data they want anymore. What were the flags you saw about the desire for the engagement piece? Yeah. So we, we've seen a couple of things. So one is that certainly the demand from our clients and researchers has, been bringing these types of projects and their desire to connect with people in this way to our attention. And so it's been about figuring out how do we meet that market need. It's also really been about when we look at internally, we can see mm -hmm. what are engagement rates, what are dropout rates on surveys, kind of use that data that we have internally about what's going on to see, you know, our, our engagement rates lower um, are more people dropping out of surveys at a higher and higher rate because they're too long, they're not engaging enough, things like that. So we've had to kind of dig into some of that as well. Yeah. Um, I've been a little bit involved with an organization called, um, I can never get it right, the GRBN, Global Research Business Network. Mm -hmm. um, and they've actually done quite a bit of research specifically in this arena of participant engagement and declining participation rates and even declining trust of 
market research amongst general consumers because what we know is that there are there is more demand for survey respondents in the online research ecosystem than there are respondents to fill all of those seats. So if this is going to be successful and continue moving forward um, and not become a real crunch point, we have got to figure out how do we engage more people, more of the general public in research in a way that values their time, respects their opinions, um, and makes them want to come back and trust that the data they're giving us is being put to good use. Right. <laughs> There's really some interesting work being done there. Yeah, I had an experience, and I don't remember if I shared this one with you, but I got a, a message about a survey. And because I'm, you know, serve the MR field, I'm like, Okay, I got to take this. This is interesting. I thought what was really, you know, piqued my interest about it was it was looking for the decision maker, like an actual business owner, someone who could answer some questions about how, you know, something about their IT, like what, what you know, the server, you know, type of server technology they use. And I thought, well, that's crazy. How did they find me, you know, to figure out that, you know, I'm like, okay, ding, 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 you you got it, you know. So I kind of was like, good, good job. I don't know how many more you sent out that are all wrong. And people go, what? I don't have a server, you know, <laughs> but the point is, is that I got it. So let's assume the best that they actually got to a hard person to get to a B2B, you know, that that's kind of a more difficult respondent and asked a very specific question. Like, could you take, you know, this survey? I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm watching. This is almost like research myself. Right? right. So I go through the process and I, you know, and I do remember with something like in $10 Amazon card, I'm like, I just don't, you know, I, I, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> So, you know, and, and that's just a different different demographic that someone would care or not. But I was so in it to win it because this is our industry. So I clicked through and everything. I thought it was pretty interesting. And kind of what you said, I want someone to, you know, value my time. I want to, uh, you know, I'd like, I'd like to give my feedback because there are things as an owner that drive me nuts about the way people sell, you know, server and IT and cloud management and stuff like that. And I, you know, I do want to help any industry improve what they do, as long as they're going to value my feedback, which reminds me of like a very, very funny LinkedIn guy who always does these, you know, open letters to companies who who ask to do surveys, but it's like, this is the 18th time I've gotten the same survey, you know, <laughs> it's like, if you didn't listen the first 17 times, I don't think you're going to listen now. And that was my, it was funny, I kind of had that in the back of my head. And then I had this personal experience. And sure enough, about two weeks later, I got the same survey. Would you take this one? I'm just like, this is the same thing. And sure enough, like two weeks later, again. And I just, so maddening. You know, this kind of stuff is yeah. just like, wow, what what is going on here? But you said that about people are pressed for time. And, uh, you know, and they kind of don't put up with this thing. Like if you don't respect it or if you're not going to put this data to good use. But you're right. The third thing I think I heard you said was we're all online already with so much of our lives. that when someone then hands us a task and asks us to do something, it feels an awful lot like a job you just gave me, not a reward <laughs> or, you know, it's like another thing to manage or, you know, th that kind of stuff. So tell me about how you guys being, you know, bringing really the right respondents to an online survey, you know, tell me how you deal with some of that survey fatigue you, you started to mention. Yeah. So it's interesting um, because there's so many engaging things to do online the question really becomes, how do we make research an engaging activity that people want to participate in? And yes, we, you know, the industry has adopted incentives. And so these people are getting paid for their opinions. But 
if you really look at it, they're not getting paid that much. And I think the, the, anybody who does the time value equation, especially a B2B audience like yourself, like you said, the $10 Amazon gift card was not why you participated in that survey. It was because you actually had an opinion about the topic and you wanted someone to listen. So instead of sending you the same survey invite again, how valuable would it have been to you to hear back from them two weeks later and say, thanks so much for your participation. Based on what you told us, here's the three changes we plan to make in the next month. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I didn't get the the Amazon thing because I never did any follow-up and I don't, I'm not interested. And I, I, I totally agree. I would have loved to see the results of the survey. Right. So, and it's little things like that. Like a lot of that information is proprietary. Right. And so you Mm -hmm. can't share it, but there are, there are things you can do and we should be looking at to give that something back to the respondent, even just a heartfelt thank you. Um, (laughs) But there's something, or even just interesting tidbits from the survey that maybe aren't, here's what we're going to roll out next and like proprietary information, but like, Hey, you might think it's cool that 85% of people also said this was the most important feature to them. Like, thanks so much. We learned a lot. See you next time. Right. Um, Stuff like that. So one of the things building upon all of this that we're starting to do is we're really in the midst right now of a pivot in our organization, moving from a sample and service-based business to a platform. Because based on all of what we're seeing right now with surveys and how people are matched with surveys, how we're finding people, there is, there's room for improvement. And we think we can really take this to the next level. Um, So based on both internal feedback from strategic conversations with customers, um, kind of looking at what we're already building just to facilitate our own business, and then what the market is asking for, we are also pivoting our business and and that's difficult, but uh, <laughs> very exciting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're going to be really busy again this year. It's not going to relent, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, before I go on to my next question about like uh, uh, to kind of to follow that up, I just want to mention to other people, research for good. What's so interesting about the way you do compensate um, is that it is a, a disruptor in the industry. Why don't you tell people about what the options are for people who participate in your surveys and how that's different? Yeah. So what we found, so when we started this business, we came from panels um, and, you know, knew that respondents were being incentivized for their time, either through points that they can use to earn a gift card or some sort of virtual currency. So, um, you know, you're earning gold coins in a pirate game or something like that. So some sort some sort of currency online. And what we wanted to do was really We saw that there was an opportunity to do more and something um, better for the world with this budget that research has for incentivizing participants. And so we've gone through a couple of pivots with the model, but where we've been for the last several years is that every person who participates in one of our surveys gets a personal reward, something for them. And out of our profit, we are making a corporate donation to our charity partner on top of that. And that really is a, you know, it's not a a game changer as far as will they or will they not participate in the survey, but it's 
that added piece of I'm doing this for something beyond just myself and beyond just the corporate interest of how can I sell more of this product or how can I get people to buy more of this service is really we're when we're making a donation to that charity partner, which is Action Against Hunger right now, it makes it just adds so much to what we're able to offer to right. the respondents um, as part of, you know, again, going back to kind of thanking them for their time. You've contributed to something bigger than yourselves and bigger than just the corporate interest. Um, and we're able to make some pretty significant donations to um, Action Against Hunger, who's been our charity partner for the last several years. I love it. This is so cool. And I feel like, you know, it probably doesn't get quite enough press, but I think it's a very good uh, concept you've had from the very beginning. It's completely, you know, uh, couched in the name. Um, but when you talk about some of the trust, some of the lack of engagement, you know, it, it does. It does provide, of course, it's not going to solve any of those things, like you said. But I think it's just one more way that you can come into the market. And, and at the end of the day, even your employees can feel like, I did something good today. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So here's an interesting thing I like to talk to people in the MR world about, and that is that everybody is just pressed for time. And I'm kind of curious, how is that affecting, you know, you with online surveys? And even as online surveys go, uh, I wouldn't say less quantitative, but maybe now with the introduction of more pressure for qualitative, and yet everybody still is under a time crunch. So, um, you know, everybody thought, oh, it's just big qualitative or focus groups or or, you know, moderators that are feeling this crunch to get it done sooner. No, you guys are feeling it too. Everybody wants an answer yesterday. So, right. you know, what are some of the biggest issues that you're feeling, you know, pressure on and how are you guys dealing with that time crunch? Yeah. So, so as we're, we're positioned in the chain of research is that we're really a, currently a supplier to a researcher. So we take care of sourcing respondents and we can take care of, field work. So the programming of the survey, the putting it out there, making sure the responses come in, quality controls and getting you some data at the back end. So we're at the what I would call kind of the end of the line as far as time compression. So client has a business question they need to answer and a timeline. They give that to the researcher or the research agency. They carve out, okay, we're going to need this much time to put it together and this much time to do analysis at the end. And then at the end of the chain is like, okay, here's what's left for field work. <laughs> so <laughs> we definitely feel those time crunches. And I think in a lot of ways that is natural. And there was, a, there's a need to deliver insights faster. Businesses are making decisions faster than ever. And we need, as researchers, we need to be positioned to have those answers quickly. I think part of the problem is that I was actually recently at a Insights Association event um, where Z Johnson spoke. Um, she is with Zappy, and she was talking about, or one of the things that she highlighted was research today is entirely project based. So, and it's all conducted. Each project is conducted almost in a silo, where you know we have this business question about this specific project, and so we're going to ask a twenty-minute survey specifically about this project, this problem, and deliver that result. And then the next client comes around and, okay, now we have this project, this specific problem, we're going to answer that. Whereas I think there's an opportunity for 
research to be far more holistic and to be, I don't know what the right word is, but like building on top of what we already know. Mm -hmm. So how much more value would you be able to bring to the table as a researcher when a client comes and says, we want to launch this product and we need to test it to say, that's great. We've already built up this huge storehouse of data and we know who your customer is what is important to them. And now we can go out and ask just the few specific questions that we need to be able to deliver that insight. Or here's what I already know about your customer. Here's where I think you can take this next and be in the room delivering insights, oftentimes before a project is even conducted with the, with the aim of then conducting additive research. Mm-hmm. That really struck me as a way to add value without adding a ton of time, right? Because where the researcher adds so much value is in their ability to see the big picture and to see, and to see the nuances in data and what people are saying and what people are doing. But that takes time. Somebody's got to sit and, and swim around in that data and understand it and live it to be able to extract those really insightful pieces of information. And I think a lot of times that's getting lost in this time compression. Right. Oh, my gosh. Okay. This also points out that next time you and I have to get to the back of the bus to go somewhere, we need to invite Z. Yes. (laughs) But this it is about asking these kinds of harder questions. And even if we don't have the answers of beginning to talk about them, well, what would that look like for as you guys are building, you know, your platform out? And as Zappy, you know, has other integration pieces and they have other connections and other thoughts on sample. And and they are revolutionizing things in an interesting way, too. And I think Coming, you know, to the table and talking about this, it, it is super important. But I got to tell you, you got to go check Z's uh, feed on LinkedIn about, I don't know, two days ago or something like that. She cracked me up because she was, she was you know, on a rant about why, you know, some, you know, corporate researchers don't come to some of the conferences or whatever. But I mean, it was a hilarious video of Maya Rudolph crying and saying, why, why, why? Like this. And I'm not joking. I, but the thing is, she had a really great point of view and it started a conversation and this is what I appreciate about you too you know UNC uh, you know are in the thick of you know understanding what's happening with sample and, and what's happening with getting remote respondents and getting quality remote <laughs> respondents yeah you know so I think that's a that's a really interesting topic to to keep keep discussing so if you're listening to this podcast and you know you have some ideas you know, send it in and we can have Bailey back on and let, let's let's talk about it a little bit more. So let me move on to kind of my last hard hitting question for you. And so I hope I don't put you too much on the spot, Bailey. But I know that, you know, just like even this difficult, you know, conundrum that you were discussing, you know, uh, with Z, um, you know, you guys have, you know, cracked some pretty tough nuts. Like, how do we go about finding this info or how do we go about finding these respondents like this is a tough respondent to find can you think of a great story and tell me how you guys actually solved you know or reverse engineered um you know uh and and came up with a solution for our client um yeah let me see if i can think of something so it's funny that you ask this because we recently did a little we sent out a newsletter to our clients and and interested parties and we were actually soliciting exactly this feedback. Like, tell us about your worst project, how it burned and crashed, um, 
and you know, like let's share in the shared misery of a project gone wrong or something that just didn't work. I think it's so cathartic to be able to Mm -hmm. look back and say, okay, we came out the other side. We can laugh about it now, but that was really a tough nut to crack, as you say. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, beyond, so we've done some interesting things with, we try and think outside the box. We don't just look at, do I have these people in my database? Can I reach these people through my recruitment methods um, online? You know, we've had projects come to us where they're in a super specific geography or they need college students in specific college towns or, you know, what have you. And we, it's important to try and I, I say this to my kids too. find a solution, not just a problem. Like we don't tell the client why it can't be done. Mm -hmm. We're really focused on trying to tell the client it can't be maybe done in a traditional method, but let's go, you know, put three people in the Greek system at these universities you want to target and go knock on some doors Mm -hmm. and get some respondents, or let's call up some focus groups in that city or that geo and see if they can start getting us recruits for your online survey, like things where you can kind of think outside the box Mm -hmm. to provide a solution goes a long way. And, you know, a lot of our clients don't take us up on that for one reason or another, often it's cost or time or just keeping the methodology consistent, but there's value in showing up and saying, I can go above and beyond for you, or I can be creative for you and get something done that everyone else is going to say no to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so that's been kind of fun that we've, we've really been focusing on that um, pretty consistently over the last year. But I think in general, the toughest respondent recruitment problem right now is what we were talking about earlier with just competing for people's time and attention in a, in a broad sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, a lot of the problems with I can't get this hard to reach audience go away if you're able to engage broad cross sections of the online population and have more reach and more depth and better response rates um, and engagement rates with people. So if we can, when we have research that is an interesting experience for people or gives back to them in some way, Um, we really find that that impacts not only the quality of the data that they get on that particular project, but the willingness of that person, that human being who has a very dynamic and busy life to want to participate again. Uh, And that's what we need to move towards really as an industry. We've got to get people excited about research that's beyond just an incentive Um, because if you just focus on the monetary gain, that's really where a lot of this fraud is coming from and, and poor quality data that we're seeing in the industry because people are motivated by money to scam the system. Right. Uh, So we've got to get away from that and make it more about the engagement and the experience. I love it. I love it. So you and I are um, in WireExec together. We're always at Women in Research events. And by the way, this is the plug that I give to them for free because you can always join Women in Research for free and you should. So <laughs> now I'm <laughs> off my soapbox. <laughs> There's no, not 
to. There's no excuse. <laughs> um, and this is what you get. You get to, you know, to make great friends with people that you get to see, you know, uh, constantly or just call up and have a, you know, have an interesting conversation about a tough nut that you have to crack. So um, it's all out there for you. But, you know, I am I know that you, your experience in, you know, your working world, your career is kind of such an interesting window looking into this, you know, founder and the startup, you know, situation. And I know it's tough. And there's a lot that's tough there. But in that experience, what's been some of the best and the worst advice you've ever heard, you know, that, you know, now with your experience with startup, you're like, no, that would that would be horrible. Or, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have really understood that earlier. Do you have some some nuggets like that? Yeah, for sure. So um, we'll start with good advice. Okay. That's more fun okay. <laughs> uh, and more useful. Um, so two things I wanted to highlight. I think um, a great piece of advice that I got early on in my career was make sure you're running towards something, not away from something. Um, because I think it's easy to say, I don't like this job. I'm going to go find a new one and jump ship. Um, or I don't like where I'm living right now. I'm going to jump ship to the next thing and make those decisions based on moving away from something that isn't working for you, which certainly you should move away from things that aren't working for you. But I think where you find the most value in making change is when you can look forward and say, I'm moving away from this because I really want this other thing. Yeah. And that's right for me. I love so, that. I love that. That's like more of, you know, be compelled towards something, not driven. Yes. Love it. Love it. Yes. Okay. What's some yeah. of the bad advice you've gotten? <laughs> <laughs> so this one is more general. It's something that it's one of those, like you see it in Instagram memes or whatever, but mm-hmm. the, the what really rubs me is this advice about, everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. Mm. I think that that (laughs) advice is well-intentioned and I'm all for pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. I do it constantly, but I also think it really drives, it sends the wrong message about listening to your intuition and trusting your own gut and those things, trusting your intuition and your gut, are the most valuable things you can listen to in driving your career, in your relationships, in your family, I think in all aspects of your life. Um, and it, this, this drive, drive, drive culture, do hard things, go, 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 forces you out of taking that moment to listen and think, is this really right for me? Um, Or, you know, you can say that would be uncomfortable for me, but I want to do it or I see the value in doing it. Mm -hmm. Or you can say that's uncomfortable for me because it feels wrong. And, And that distinction, I think, is really, really important. And it's dangerous to not listen Yeah. in that regard. Oh, I totally agree with that. And I think, too, what's so wrong with playing to your strengths? Right. <laughs> you know, you're an expert, you know, in finding <laughs> difficult respondents and dealing with, you know, these online questions and of, of trust and, and of, you know, engagement. And so why should you have to go constantly do something new? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I love it. Okay, we got to end on this because I know you and I can talk forever, but I'm going to end with a quick rapid fire. Um, okay. And then I'm going to have you let people know how to reach you because um, and I'm going to let you spell 
your name because I spell it. I'm going to spell it right now, but I'm going to let you say it at the end too because you're going to go look for her online and you're not going to find her because it's Bailey Buchanan and it's B-A-I-L-L-I-E. So (laughs) I've told you and I'm going to let her tell you at the end, but real quick on a rapid fire, just a little bit about you personally. What's your favorite podcast? Yeah, so I am a big podcast junkie. Um, if we're in the research space specifically, I got a shout out to happy market research podcast. Mm -hmm. I think they're doing a great job with super interesting content, lots of good takeaways and action items there. And Jamin's going to be speaking, uh, at insights marketing day, um, specifically about podcasting and how it fits into MR world. Okay. I interrupted. That that (laughs) conference that you're putting together is going to be so valuable. Everyone wants to go attend that. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to have so much fun and we're going to actually podcast live from there too. Oh, good, good. Okay, well, I'll definitely tune in for that episode. Um, but I wanted to shout out one other one, too. So a lot of, I think, the guests from listening to your past podcasts have referenced How I Built This Yeah. Um, with Guy Raz. And I just have to tell everyone that Guy Raz also does a kids podcast, which is excellent. Uh, it's called Wow in the World. Um, and it's like a science STEM-based podcast. And it's fantastic. And so if you have kids, you should definitely listen to that one. You are kidding me. I freaking love Guy Raz. And I had no idea. See, this is this makes like my whole podcasting career worth it right there. <laughs> Between Kai Rizdahl and Guy Raz, I mean, seriously, like that's my that's like the end caps of my podcasting love. So. <laughs> okay. Do you have a favorite app or are you a big app user or what? Yeah. So... The one I've been using lately that I really love is this app called Latote. So it's L-E-T-O-T-E. Okay. Um, And it's a clothing rental service app, sort of like Rent the Runway, but more everyday wear items. Um, And I have to say, first of all, it's drastically reduced my shopping budget, but I get 10 new items of clothing a month to wear as much as I want. And then I send them back and I get 10 new items. Um, Oh my gosh, Bailey, you're wrecking me. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good though. Like I spent, you know, you spend money for the app um, and the subscription service, but I'm not buying clothes and especially I'm not buying clothes that then next month I'm going to feel like, Oh, well that was so, you know, I'm over that. Right. 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 Constantly something new and exciting. Um, and they have workwear, So it's great for like an upcoming conference season. Cause I always end up buying one or two things for conference season. You wear it all season and then next conference season run- comes around and I'm like, I can't stomach wearing that thing again. <laughs> so I go buy new clothes. <laughs> Well, you know what? This is interesting because you just brought up um, uh, your favorite podcast with Guy Raz, How I Built This. And I listened just recently to uh, Katrina Lake's uh, episode. And it was a rerun, but, you know, it was a really good one. So they brought it back on again. And she's the one who uh, the CEO and co-founder of uh, Stitch Fix. And so this is interesting because Latote, that's taking it another step saying, look, I don't want it forever. I I certainly don't want to manage more. That's how I feel. I don't want to manage more more stuff. And it is funny because we just had a photo shoot today in the office from a magazine interview that they did for when we, you know, uh, when I bought the other agency. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm in this jumper, in this pink jumper, and I'm thinking, oh, crap, now I can't wear this out anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, totally. And I'm just like, oh, this could really solve things for me. Okay, we're going to get bogged down because you and I can chat about everything. So tell me about a favorite book, either one you're reading right now or something you kind of keep coming back to. Yeah. So a business book that I've read and kind of keep coming back to is called The Sales Acceleration Formula. Um, It's by Mark Roberge or 
I think that's how you say his last name, um, formerly of HubSpot. He really built up HubSpot and it's a great book for how to set up a sales team, how to manage a sales team, especially if you don't come from a sales background or you're like a business owner who needs to now start bringing up, bringing an actual sales force into play. Plus it really goes into the, the interplay of sales and marketing and content marketing. Um, so highly recommend that one. And then on the for fun side, I just finished recently a book called The Power by Naomi Alderman. It's this futuristic dystopian feminist novel. Okay, <laughs> which yeah, I'm in. <laughs> sound appealing to everyone. Uh, futuristic dystopian novels is way up my alley, but it's super interesting. Um, has a lot to do with like male female power dynamics. And we'll really leave you thinking. So that is a, a good book. Oh, that's so great. That is really good. Okay, you've got me all. You've got me on all three so far. So oh, yes. let's let's end with a blog. Are you? You know, you are a big podcast person. So do you follow a blog or not? I'm not a big blog person, um, but I follow this blogger on Instagram. Um, her name is Hitha Palapu. I. Again, I hope I'm saying her last name correctly, um, but she does this amazing thing. So every more every weekday morning, she posts on Instagram five smart reads, and they are articles that she has curated from the news or from other blogs or magazines, and it's just like the five best articles from the previous day or previous week, um, that you should be aware of. And they're, they range from news to fashion to interesting profiles on women, um, really the whole gamut, but it's just five articles, highly curated, ready to go and ready to read. Um, and I think it's, it's excellent. So it's hashtag five smart reads with the number five, um, and I recommend everyone follow it. For I some- love it. I'm going to do it. See, I need to expand mine because my husband reads The Economist from cover to cover, and he'll leave out the articles I need to read because, I mean, I don't have time for that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice if I read that? Um, but, you know, like, so every week, you know, there'll be like two articles left out for me or something, you know, and I'm like, you have to yeah, read this. Thank you. <laughs> but this yeah. would this would expand me past The Economist, so that could be really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he invests in some really cool businesses um, and talks a lot about, you know, women at work, the future of work, um, flexibility and just news in general and all that good stuff. So, I yeah, it. I found some really interesting reads that way. OK, well, let everybody know where they can reach you and where they can find Research for Good and where you're going to be. And what's the conference trail for look like for you? Yeah. So um, researchforgood.com. And uh, my personal Twitter is Bailey for good. So that's B-A-I-L-L-I-E-F-O-R-G-O-O-D on Twitter and Bailey Buchanan on LinkedIn. Um, Those are the best ways to find me. We are, I'm in Seattle. So if you're ever in the Seattle area, hit me up. Um, We'd love to go for coffee and um, Priscilla, if you want a, a referral link to Latote, let me know. Oh, I do. Send it to me today. <laughs> it's conference season. So yes. for sure. Okay. Well, I can't wait to see you out there on the road. What's the next show that you'll be at? I, for me, my travel schedule is pretty light this year. I've really held, held space for some other things. Um, so I will be in Portland at the Insights Association 
one day educational conference next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it so far for me this year awesome. for the rest of this year. Okay. Well, what, I'll, I know I'll catch you at uh, the next wire uh, group meeting and wire exec, but um, yeah. reach out to Bailey, ask a couple of these interesting questions. And um, especially on LinkedIn, we're good about starting conversations and really hearing a lot of different opinions. Bailey, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about, you know, what's going on in, in, in our world and, and how we can actually, how we can actually, you know, pull our resources, pull our expertise and actually tackle some of these tough problems. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Priscilla. (laughs) Well, from all of us here at Little Bird, have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.